Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is Julie Copeland. She is the executive director of Emerge Virginia. Julie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, absolutely. Uh, now, first of all, uh, Emerge Virginia is is relatively new, yes? Four years? We are, yes. We just finished our fourth class. Wow. Yes. And, on the National Network. Okay, and uh, so for four years, you have been training who for what? How's that? Democratic women to run for office at all levels. We've had women who've run for town council, for sheriff. We have somebody who's run and won for soil and water district. We now have women running for Congress. So in four years, um, we've trained 119 women. Wow. And we have 14 who are already serving in office. That is fantastic. And just recently, I think uh, in Richmond on uh, Last week, there was a gubernatorial forum for Dr. Northam and Ed Gillespie, and I attended, and a number of people approached me about radio and whatever, and, and, and asked, what are you for? And I said, Democratic women in office. <laughs> Thank you. So there you are. And so, <laughs> so historically, I mean, you right. know, women have been, a lot of people think, uh, you know, women got the vote in 1920, and everything was fine after that. But uh, right. give us some historical perspective. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, it's surprising even for me to know and look back that we've only ever elected one woman statewide in Virginia. Mm. And we actually elected her almost 30 years ago. Uh, Mary Sue Terry was elected attorney general in 1985. Mm-hmm. She was re-elected in 1989, and she's the only woman who's ever served in statewide office. In the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yes. So we've never had a governor. We've never had a lieutenant governor. We've never had a U.S. senator. And I think even more surprising is, people don't believe me when I tell them this, the first woman ever elected to Congress from Virginia Mm -hmm. was in 1992. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, Leslie Byrne was the first woman elected to Congress. She was, she is a Democrat, um, and she only served one term. And we've had since then we've had women elected to Congress from Virginia, all Republicans, but still. Given that we have 11 congressional districts in Virginia right now, we've only ever elected four women to Congress mm. in the history of the Commonwealth. So well, we have a long way to go. Exactly, and I guess Emerge Virginia is is part of the the mission to fix this gap. Why? And and I may you know I. I try not to talk too much, but uh, on this particular subject, I have a lot of opinions. But let me ask you, why Why is it that Emerge Virginia is necessary? Mm. Well, most, those statistics I just gave you about women who haven't been elected, um, and then at the local level, we have, there's only 20% of women in the General Assembly um, out of 140 seats, there's only 20% of them. Only 11% of those are Democratic women. Mm-hmm. And then if you look in local office, which is where most of the things that happen important to our lives, you know, our schools yes. and, and our roads and our public safety, board of supervisors, town council, mayor. Yes. Across Virginia, it's about 20%. But when you look at individually... Um, for example, the Board of Supervisors, which most of them ran two years ago, only 6% of the candidates for Board of Supervisors were women, mm. which is astounding mm-hmm. um, and, and, and shocking to me. And I think given that we're 50% of the population or more, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> we come with different ideas and we have different solutions to local, state, and national problems, and we deserve a seat at the table just like everybody else. Yes. So that's our mission. That's what we do, and um, there are a lot of reasons why women don't run, and we try to overcome that as well with our training. Mm-hmm. But t- tell us something about that. Why Why do women, what, what do you hear when a woman says no this isn't for me. What are the reasons? Um, so interestingly, a lot of women, you'll hear people talk about the ambition gap. Yes. That women don't want to do it the same way men do. Um, as I'm out there talking to women, I definitely hear them say, yes, I've thought about it, or yes, somebody has asked me, but I think I'm too busy, or I think I'm not qualified, or, you know, what happened in the presidential race last year, this looks really awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, part of what I try to talk to women about is, look, running for board of supervisors or running for town council is not like running for president, mm-hmm. right? What I do find is women who care about an issue specifically, usually when a woman gets into a race, she's got a particular reason that she wants to run. Yes. That's, that's an issue-based, mm-hmm. right, which is interesting and, and different than sometimes why men run. Mm-hmm. But what we also know is women don't hear when they're being asked. We're, we're to generalize a little bit, mm-hmm. women are a little bit more nurturing and caring about other people. Um, I tell the story a lot that I have this recommend a woman card that will allow you to... So if you know a woman who should take our program, you can 
send me a postcard with her name on it. Mm-hmm. I was at an event where there were two women who came together. They were friends. And they independently went and picked up the card and wrote each other's names on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and Says a lot. Both of them have taken the class, but they both considered each other qualified to run for office. Wonderful. But they didn't necessarily consider themselves qualified. Well, I, that probably comes from something a lot deeper than... than uh, than we might suppose. I mean, not yeah. you and I, because we're looking, but certainly as as we've we've started talking a bit about the history, not only the short history of Emerge Virginia, but the long history of gender uh, inequality. And I, I mentioned, you know, we women got the vote in 1920, but it was still fighting for constitutional equality with the Equal Rights Amendment having been passed under the uh, Jimmy Carter uh, administration, but not ratified by the states. You can't change the Constitution. You can't amend it without ratification by, is it 35 or 38 states? I can't remember. But but in that range. um, What is, uh, tell us, uh, men and women in the audience, the, um, what is the impact on our politics and our gender equality, income equality, um, uh, without a ratified equal rights amendment. Well, I, you know, there. Are, I think clearly, just the fact that we won't ratify it—that we are that men and women are equal, right—is a fundamental issue that it's hard for me to explain why we haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Um, Frankly, um, I think it's you know, there's a new study that just came out that in states that elect more women, mm-hmm. their infant mortality rate goes down. Wow. And now it, there's nothing to point specifically to um, which policies make that happen, but just the fact that women are there in the deciding legislative bodies has somehow had an effect upon infant mortality. Wow. So, I, you know, I use that as a great example of why women being at the table and women being equal to men in the representative bodies mm-hmm. um, is so important. Um, so you... you know, go ahead. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a remarkable statistic that just came out um, that I'm fascinated about. Yes. Um, that, and we also know, right, that women actually pass more legislation. They're more collaborative and work together and mm-hmm. work across the aisle mm-hmm. um, to get more done. You know, I hate, uh, uh, I know we're both doing something with the statistics and not a generalization, but we, right. we're speaking a bit in it. But I I have found through my directing career, from, and we're talking decades in, in New York City, that especially when I left New York City and went to um, out to work in the region, as they say, I found that the my better stage managers, assistants, those who got the job done behind the scene in television and in theater were women. Now, huh. I'm not anti-male unless right. he commits right. domestic violence or something, but um, but I just have found that to be the case. Women are efficient. I'm married to one. I think she's smarter than I am. You know what I mean? But um, I just I just wonder if we are still fighting the battle 
of gender equality, not just because of ERA is the symptom, uh, you know, right. it's not being yeah. it passed, but what do we, I mean, even tell us a little bit about the Richmond, uh, the House of Delegates, and because there are women in Virginia's state legislature who oppose the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, correct? Right. And I, I can't explain it to you. Yeah. Um, they are, those are all Republican women, mm -hmm. and it was hard for me to get into their head and explain to you why it is. Republican women make up less of the legislature than Democratic women. So I think the you know the more we can move forward, and we certainly have a huge number of women candidates running this year mm -hmm. that may change the face of the General Assembly next year, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and we can move this forward. You know, I think the more we, I uh, sometimes say, the more women run, the more women run. Because yes. it is, right, you have to see it to be it, as yes. they say it, the Girl Scouts. Um, and we need more of those role models, and certainly this past presidential race has helped that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but but we're, we still need to elect more of those women who are then out in the community and being seen by the young girls um, and being inspired by them. Do you have a problem yet? I know there are a lot of candidates, and I want to get to that number because yeah. it's quite impressive. But do you have a problem yet, uh, as young as you are, the four years uh, in existence of having graduates Emerge Virginia graduates, um, and I guess we should make it clear, Emerge Virginia is an educational training program for right. women who wish to run for an office at any level, state, local, yeah. federal. Okay. Uh, do right. you have the problem yet of their being competing against each other? And how does that work? Yes. Yes. So this is part of the reason to emerge. We train the women, but then we, we don't endorse and we don't contribute funds because, frankly, that's exactly what we want, is to have, we could have the situation where we had this year, where emerged trained women are running against each other. Yes. So in the primaries that we had just in June, there were four districts where there were nine women who were running against each other. So mm. in one district, we had three alums running against each other. Wow. Um, and in three other districts, we had two alums running against each other. So... Um, on primary night in June, we did have 14 candidates on the ballot. Um, only 11 of them won, but we, we were in 11 districts. So we won all of our primaries with wow. Emerge Alumni. But yes, this is the first time it's happened for us. Um, it's happened in other Emerge states, and we trained them all together in the same room. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it while we were training. And that this was, you know, part of the goal, that to move it forward, we'll be in a place where women would be running against each other. And that's a, a wonderful gift, I think. I think so, too. I think competition is uh, a great thing. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it, you don't have to be angry with someone or, or, or right. exercise the kind of behavior that we saw, as you referenced, the uh, last presidential election, but uh, right. uh, but competition is a good thing. I think it sharpens uh -huh. the edge and uh, helps us to be the best we can be. And so I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But let us, before we go to break, at least touch on sure. the number of candidates that are currently female candidates that are running. It's 43. Is that right? Yes. 
and yeah. and tell tell us about that. So that does include the women uh, Democratic incumbents. Uh-huh. There are thirty one Democratic women running as challengers this year, which is I think you know we don't have a lot of historical data, but. We certainly know that it is the highest number ever. I don't know what the percentage is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very proud that we have 18 Emerge alumni on the ballot this year for House of Delegates. Wow. Two of them are incumbents, but 16 of them are challengers. Wow. So, and, you know, we need 17 seats to win back the House of Delegates mm-hmm. as Democrats. Um, I wish I could have trained one more, <laughs> um, but we have 16 of the 31 um, who've been trained by Emerge, and it has just been amazing to get to know all of these women, you know, who marched and were inspired and are working in their communities and are making a huge impact. Um, even if all of them don't win, they're energized and bringing out more women, which is only a good thing, I think, for our I Politics think, and uh, yes, and I think for the country, frankly, the or did you feel that Emerge Virginia was represented in the Women's March, the uh, January twenty first, twenty seventeen? Yes, actually, we so Emerge America has an office in Washington, mm-hmm. and we invited alumni from all across the country to come to our offices and launch our part of the march from there. Mm. And we had women from all across the country who had been trained by Emerge, including some of our alums. And then we all marched together. Fantastic. And we had signs that said, today we march, tomorrow we run for office. Yes. <laughs> it's fa- I mean, it's fabulous. I uh, and, and again, I stress, I'm not... Uh, it, uh, I, I just feel this way, uh, to, to be honest to everyone. I think the country has seen what men have can do and have done, and and uh, as, as when I took care of my parents, I saw a lot of tremendous doctors, some average doctors, and some doctors I never wanted to see again. Well, the the same is true for politics, and uh, uh, and I just think that we have proof of what men have accomplished and what they haven't. And and that is in that is by ignoring half of the population. So I would like to see I would like to see everybody represented, all colors, shapes, and sizes, and certainly all uh, um, ge- both genders. Okay, yeah. that sound yeah. about what you're after. Absolutely agreed, hundred percent. Okay, all right then. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Julie S. Copeland. She is the executive director of Emerge Virginia. They are training women, uh, particularly Democratic women, to run for office at all levels, electoral office, uh, be it president um, or uh, governors, or lieutenant governors. This is what, uh, you know, uh, city council, um, county boards, uh, and of course in the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia, the um, state legislature in Richmond. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. We're going to talk specifically about how this training program works and how you and your friends can apply. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The opening frames of Kisses are presented in bleak shades of gray. The sounds are desolate and the language floridly foul. All the characters appear beaten down by the harsh world into which they were born. Yet surprisingly, this Irish fairy tale is also full of magical whimsy as well as indie grit. Yes, both. Kisses tells of two pre-adolescent children, each reared in abusive lower-class homes. When Dylan challenges Da for slugging his ma, Da sets out to kill him, and a helpless ma can only tell him to run. Run, Dylan does, together with Kylie, the girl next door and his best friend, into the gritty streets of Dublin, Ireland. Vowing never to return, they make their way through the city as color finds its way into the frame. There is danger aplenty for these vulnerable waifs, but magic just might keep it at bay. They run in roller shoes that light up the night with sparkles of color. Their friendship is their shield, and the musical aura of Bob Dylan is their powerful cloak. In the end, the fanciful clashes with reality. Color may once again drain from their world, but the magic will remain in our hearts as we pine for the future of Kylie and Dylan. Kisses, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is the Executive Director of Emerge Virginia, Julie S. Copeland. And Julie, we 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 covered a lot of material about the the short history of um, Emerge Virginia. Four years, so much accomplished in that time, and uh, your goals and missions, um, and the things that have not been happening as fast for women in general, in our society, and certainly in our politics. What do you think makes the rush now for so many women to come and study with Emerge Virginia? Was it primarily the um, uh, last year's election, the, the tenor of that, or is there more to it? I, I think that definitely the increase we've seen in interest um, was a result of the elections. Mm-hmm. Our applications were open last year on Election Day. Um, They were scheduled to close, I think, the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, And we decided to keep them open another week. And in a week, I had a 200% increase in women applying. Um, We were in a place where we were surprised, Mm -hmm. as everybody else was, I think. Um, But there were so many women who, as you know, I talked to them going through this process that just couldn't believe, like we were talking about the ERA earlier, couldn't believe that this wasn't possible to elect mm-hmm. a woman president. Mm-hmm. And finally realized they needed to do something about it themselves. Yes. And that running for office might be the answer for them. Or, and I have certainly talked to a lot of women now who want to help other women get elected because mm-hmm. they see how important it is. So the interest in Emerge all over the country has been incredible. Mm-hmm. We had, a, you know, we're part of a national network. Yes. And we were the 13th state to be created before election, on election day, we had 15 states, I think. Mm-hmm. And we had a plan to get to 20 states by 2020. Excellent. Well, here's what happened, though. (laughs) We now have 22 states. Ah, wow. In less than a year, 
seven new states have raised the money and hired the staff and started recruiting women to run because of this surge in women that are interested. Yes. So we've achieved our goal three years early of getting to 20 states, and there are other states in the pipeline who want to come online to help women run for office. I'm excited that a lot of them are southern states. I think South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana have started programs already, Wonderful. which is really exciting for me as a southern state. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's seven months, and the training we do here is the same as the training they do in Tennessee, Kentucky, Maryland. It's specific to our politics. Mm-hmm. But if you're trained in the seven-month program at Emerge Virginia, you will have comparable training in one of the other states. Interesting. So, yeah. so does that mean the the general political, economic, social issues we should start seeing as something that is an Americans' issue as opposed to different states? Yeah. How, how does you that know, work? That's, that's a good question, and and. I should say that Emerge does not train on any issues at all. Ah, okay. We just train on the actual nuts and bolts of being a candidate. Well, I tell um, well okay. We don't, we, don't, we don't have any sort of litmus test for women in the program other than that they are Democratic women committed to running for office. Because where you run, the issues may be different, you know, in Arlington mm. or Charlottesville or Roanoke. Okay. Right. Yes. Um, and then they're certainly going to be different in Kentucky or Alabama. Yes. Or California than they are here. Yes. So we do not train on issues, um, but we get very much into the nuts and bolts of campaigning. Well, tell us, uh, tell us what training you do give. What are the mm-hmm. nuts and bolts of your training? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So it's seven months, and for Virginia, we may one Saturday a month um, from January to July. It's cohort-based, meaning we try to accept somewhere between 20 and 25 women into the program from all across the state. And the idea is to bring these women together to create a network among themselves and then a network with the other alums who've already graduated to support each other when they run. I see. Uh-huh. And then we spend, you know, there's, we talk about how to file, what the legal requirements are, um, what it will be like to do campaign finance reporting and get signatures on your petitions to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, and what all of those are like. It's different for every level of office in Virginia. We have an election every year, and most years we have elections in May and November. Yes. Um, there's a lot of different rules depending on what level you're running for, so we can't possibly hit all of them, but we try to walk you through what it's going to be like once you decide to run. We talk about messaging and how to come up with your message and mm-hmm. the message of your opponent and how you would talk about that. Uh, we talk about how that messaging would work in polling, if you're going to do polling, and then how it would work in any other sort of communications, whether it's press or direct mail, television, radio, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do fundraising. 
how to make those phone calls, how to create your lists, how to, you know, we do a really deep dive on the fundraising piece. And we spend a lot of time talking about how to build your network mm-hmm. so that you're community-based um, and that you have a network and that you are ready to go when an opportunity presents itself mm-hmm. in, the, in the race you want to run. Um, and we do that for seven months. And now that we have 119 alumni, yes. we are finding that they are, while I can't fundraise for them and I don't contribute as Emerge Virginia mm-hmm. for them, they are raising money for each other. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, this weekend, uh, we did have one woman who just graduated from the class who is running for Blacksburg Town Council. Mm-hmm. And I think five or six alums drove to Blacksburg this weekend and door knocked for her. Oh, wow. So yeah. that's the kind of, that's what we create for these women is a cohort of other women who understand the process. Um, and then as some of them get elected, they come back and help us train. Excellent. You know, they can talk about what it's like to be a candidate and the challenges and how fun it is or how hard it is at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we use a lot of our alums to come back and help with the training, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier in the segment that how people are, uh, how these the, the number of eMERGE organizations, state organizations, has grown so dramatically, beating yeah. your goal. How does one, uh, share with us, how does one start an eMERGE organization? Uh, this this uh, uh, this being an internet radio show, it goes yeah. everywhere. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so eMERGE America is parent organization, and they have offices in Washington, D.C. and in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you can go to EmergeAmerica.org, and there is a place there for you want to start a new state. And they have a map of states that are in progress right now. Mm-hmm. So, for example, New York State, New York, and specifically New York City, is raising money right now to start a program. Uh-huh. So each, each state is independent in that Virginia raises all the money that Virginia needs. Mm-hmm. Right? So to put on the program and to pay staff, we raise that money in Virginia for Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, Emerge America helps us overarchingly with curriculum and other support that we would need. So the new states are getting together, putting a political group together to start raising the money so they can hire their own staff and mm-hmm. get a program started. And typically it takes more than a year to do that. Mm-hmm. Some of these states have just gone gangbusters, which yes. is amazing, mm-hmm. um, to come online so quickly and start new programs and get more women in the pipeline. Have you had any resistance from uh, local government? Um... A male-dominated state government <laughs> to um, your organizations? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, I'm very proud that in four years we have, I feel like we've been successful in becoming the go-to women for, you know, sending women our way. Mm-hmm. I think early on, um, I don't know if it was skepticism or if it was just, oh, here's another group starting up, you know. Mm-hmm. 
but we we had we did have good support from elected officials, um, but it has grown exponentially in just the four years that we've been doing this. Wow. And I I hope that part of the credit to that goes to I I know that the credit goes to the women that we've trained mm-hmm. who've been great candidates and who've won. Mm-hmm. And you know it's. As those women run and win, they start referring other women to us. Yes. And then the political um, groups, you know, the Democratic elected officials have taken a little bit more notice. Um, and so it just grows from there. Excellent. So Great growth. You know, and, and I'm so happy to hear this. I think during the 2016 election that seemed to go on for three years, I <laughs> I often said to people, because people were talking about landslide and this and that, and I would say, mm. you, you know, it's don't talk about landslides. Go out and knock right. on doors, make calls, vote, register voters, yeah. you know. This is what we need. And then, of course, here we are thinking that certain people will not be reelected. Well, you can't be complacent in any, I don't think, in any kind of endeavor like politics. But but yeah. tell but tell me the is that part of your training? You you t- you mentioned curriculum. Uh, do you have particular subjects that are stressed? I know you mentioned a few. Did we cover them all? You know, I think things maybe I didn't mention was we do a lot of public speaking. Oh, that was we one. Do a lot that... of we call it finding your authentic mm-hmm. self. Right, that there are stories we all have about ourselves that relate to why we're motivated to run. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time delving into that because, especially in this environment, people with real stories who can relate to the to their voters, whether it's in person at the door or through a video on social media or through a direct mail piece. You know, I think the the phony politician doesn't get too far anymore mm-hmm. right that's so, true and these women have these amazing stories that they think might be they're not sure that this is the story they want to tell but uh-huh. when they put it in a speech and they see the reaction from people then it, it makes the connection for them exactly so we spend a lot of time doing frankly just about everything we do ends up coming back to public speaking right yeah. like fundraising pitches and talking to the press and creating a message all comes back to your delivery of that message mm-hmm. do you find still and is this part of your uh, your curriculum that in fundraising very often there's some cases that the candidate actually has to get on the phone and and make that pitch it even no matter what staff or volunteers for some it takes the candidate's voice is that uh-huh. I, I would say that the candidate is the only one mm. who is the the best the best and really the only fundraiser, especially for smaller races. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously for a gubernatorial race or a presidential race, it's not possible for that candidate to be on the phone mm-hmm. raising that money personally. But at a lower level, including at the House of Delegates, even though some of those races are a million dollars, the candidate, first of all, what we teach, and it's true for everybody, is especially if you're a challenger, your personal network is where you're going to raise that money. Yes. You're not going to raise it from PACs and corporations. You're going to raise it from your personal network. And I can't call your best friend and ask for money. Mm-hmm. You've got to do that. Yes. So actually, yes, we spend a lot of time debunking the myth that there is a secret pill out there that 
rains money down on your campaign without you having to get on the phone. Yes. <laughs> it, uh, true. And I remember stories of President Obama talking about that. It was one of the most difficult things he had to do, but yeah. he had to get on the phone and talk to yeah. people to make it happen. So yep. th there it is. And you yeah. are helping women find themselves, their political selves. It's a challenge, but it seems to me that women like most things in life. I mean, uh, the, the entire medical industry and uh, how women are treated. I speak from uh, the experience of taking care of my parents. As society just ingrained things we don't even think about, prejudices that we don't even know we have, but right. they do exist. When the women you meet who apply for to train with Emerge Virginia, how, uh -huh. you say they come with these stories, are, are they, what's like an age range? Have they been in the military? Have they been wives and mothers? Is it, is, are they right out of college? What, what do you see as students, potential um, candidates? Yes, all of the above. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> so we have had women as young as 22. Mm -hmm. We've had women as old as 68. Ah, okay. And all, you know, all different sorts of, histories therein we as you can imagine because we have norfolk here we and the dc area we've had probably half a dozen mm. veterans mm -hmm. who serve the ranges of life experience goes from one end to the next we had a woman that has just graduated and she's 26 she has lived in norfolk her whole life she now works at Old Dominion University as a guidance counselor, mm -hmm. I think they call it something different mm -hmm. at the college level, for incoming freshmen. And when she came to the program, she said, she told me, I don't think I'm really ready to run, but I'm really curious about this. Mm -hmm. She's now filed to run in the May election next year in Norfolk for school board. All right. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> And see, and that brings us back to the point, it, it, not everybody needs to run for president. I, I've been right. told by a number of uh, candidates that the uh, the people who make the most difference are the candidates and, and the, the elected officials who are closest to the people. So again, yeah. we go back to city council, county boards, and of course, the state houses. That's, it, that's extremely important. Extremely Absolutely. Important. And, it, and the pipeline. Right. I mean, we, yes. only, we only have 11 percent of the women in the General Assembly are Democratic women. That explains partly why we've only had four women in Congress. Mm -hmm. You know, each each time you step up, yes, um, the race is a little bit harder, a little bit bigger. You need a bigger network. And so making the jump from never running for office to Congress mm -hmm. is a big leap. Yes. Yes. Um, and we also know that most most people, both men and women, don't win the first time. Mm -hmm. If you look at the General Assembly right now, I could list 10 people off the top of my head who've been there for 20 years, but they lost their first race, or mm. they lost their first two races. Mm -hmm. um, and getting women to run again is one of the other challenges. So keeping the pipeline moving, Yes. you know, you lost once, but you're going to get right back up and do it again. Yes. It was another thing we talk a lot about. All right. Do you, one quick question, we're running over, but I'm just curious. Sure. Do you ever bring in a sort of a practice debates? And do you bring men, since that's with a lot of what they'll be running against? <laughs> um, we, we have not done that. We do have 
some male trainers uh-huh. just because you know, from from time perspective we don't just can't always find just women. Yes. Um, but we have tried to do as much of that as possible. Um, but have never really done the man versus woman specifically debate piece. It's an mm. interesting question. Well, I've never been asked that before, to be well, honest. Well, I'll, I'll tell you when we're off the air, I'll tell you why. Uh, another reason, but one of the reasons, of course, is because of the Trump-Clinton uh, uh, right. race. But uh-huh. this this has been an absolute pleasure. This will not be the only time we talk to Judy Thank Copeland, you. who is the executive director of Emerge Virginia. Tell us now, we must go, but tell us how uh, how does one find you to apply? Is there a website, yeah. Facebook? How do we apply? Yeah, so the website is emergeva.org, and the applications are open now through October 15th, and you can find the link there. It's pinned to the top of my Facebook page and to our Twitter account, which is Emerge Virginia, not Emerge VA. Um, so you can find that all there. You can reach out to me if you have questions. My all my contact information is on the website as well. And the website again slowly is emergeva.org. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Julie Copeland, and we wish you and Emerge Virginia all the best. Um, I and all women, for heaven's sake, it's <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> you know. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The best stories are the ones that take us outside of ourselves, where, upon return to reality, something has changed. Tarsem Singh's 2006 adventure fantasy, The Fall, transports us to 1920s California, to a sanatorium where ice is delivered by truck and x-ray technicians wear suits of armor. Here, two convalescing characters form an unlikely bond. Alexandria, a little girl who broke her arm working in the orange groves, and Roy, a heartbroken stuntman, played by the ever-charming Lee Pace. Roy begins to tell Alexandria an epic tale of five extraordinary heroes who have been wronged by the villain Odious and now seek revenge. Along with Alexandria, we visualize a majestic world where heroes swim with elephants and trees instantaneously catch fire. However, it soon becomes apparent that Roy's own broken life is seeping into the world of the story, and that what he truly seeks is not a happy ending, but rather the vial of morphine in the medicine closet. Bringing us back to the early days of film, The Fall reminds us not only why we tell stories, but also why we listen to them. Saturated with visually stunning scenes, it rivals the best of our imaginations, offering a little bit of something for everyone. The Fall, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. When what they said could never happen in America, happens. Despite what they tell us, weather-induced shortages of energy, reptile-free congressional seats and streets, safe food, and clean water could determine humankind's ultimate battle line. 
with a president more interested in tax cuts for the super-wealthy than throwing a lifeline to survivors of Hurricane Harvey, I can't help but wonder if Hurricane Irma is the angry prologue on a mission to repo the Seminole Peninsula paradise. South Florida is more like another country than the 27th state we stole in 1830 without granting statehood until 1845. Invading the Everglades, its last frontier, in the early 1900s, we challenged its very nature, launching a railway from the Florida mainland to the Keys in 1935. Low-income families now joined by blue and white-collar workers, including DACA's 91% employed, feel the greatest impact of hurricane-strength stifling hot air barreling down from Breitbart's foot soldiers denying the truth about the American Civil War while wielding racist intimidation, religious bigotry, and murder. They tell us America's gross domestic product is the best way to determine the stability of our national income because GDP is the value of what any United States resident produces. Unlike the GOP, that makes the GDP colorblind, without political prejudice, sexual misconduct, racial discrimination, or religious travel bans. Since the major expertise of our dysfunctional 45th administration is disruption, I express human value in cash flow terms to assist the Trump in grasping this truth. Like the devastation of Hurricanes Katrina, Sandy, Harvey, and Irma, deporting dreamers will cost America billions. Scott Pruitt It's past climate change talking time, with foreign policy Nikki Haley rudderless in the Sea of Japan, without a Chinese clue or UN paddle, hoping a hack like Sessions will save America from a presidential maiden voyage. When denial is our weapon of choice, voters, voting in the red, willingly fall on their best self-interest sword, allowing corporatism-injected politicians to slash to death programs and services needed for a rainy day. Thus enabled, conservative state governments liberally slice and dice. Rick Scott gutted Florida's wetlands agency while his hero applies executive disorder, bloodletting flood protection. They promised it could never happen in America, but our senior social security, our children's public education, our H2O, indeed the very air we breathe, are now species endangered by a MIA commissioner for elder stability, a DeVos dumbing down education, fracking, coal ash, cokeheads like Nestle, quietly privatizing drinking water, all aided and abetted by the stench of democracy rotting in a McConnell and Ryan FEMA-cutting Congress, providing smoke and mirror cover for banking institutions determined to decapitate our need for a post-Bush-Cheney Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The fear that America needed to be made great again was seeded in the wake of the Great Recession. In response to this Wall Street domestic violence against 99% of us, lay the foundation for demeaning global citizenship, deserting earthly stewardship, and descending to where white supremacists profane religion, tarnish patriotism, and propagate climate injustice. Arrogance preached oceans that weren't ours protected us, that 1930s Germany couldn't happen in the USA, and climate change was a hoax. They evangelized, 
And we said, Amen. But then came 9-11, the invasion of Charlottesville by Bannon's KKK Nazis and voters voting to make America great again, endorsing it's easier to drill through Arctic Ocean than Arctic ice. In January 1912, Henry Flagler's overseas railroad to Key West departed from South Florida. Four months later, the ship not even God himself could sink, RMS Titanic, plummeted with 1,500 souls in less than three hours. Flagler's folly and the Keys Islanders were devastated by the 1935 Labor Day hurricane. Many, including veterans, simply disappeared without a trace. And despite telling themselves hurricanes don't come to New England, in 1938 the Long Island Express killed 682, leaving devastation still visible in 1951. So, the forecast... Record-breaking landslide for first female president. Election night finale. Intellectual neophyte elected president. Aftermath. If Democrats fail to fight for something instead of against each other, the man from the towers will continue to rain down on we the people, now stripped naked by Equifax. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.